we have been in the series, the third week of this series called Trusting God in the Midst. In the midst of whatever's going on, can we choose to trust him? And so we started a couple weeks ago with the story of Naaman, where is he going to be a person that trusts God's word and obeys them? And it, it's hard for us as Americans to actually trust when we don't know everything that's going to happen or it doesn't quite make sense to our logical minds. Uh, last week, uh, Trevor did an amazing job talking about trusting God with what appears to be impossible, the impossible situations in front of us. And, and I want to say a second you know, uh, about Trevor. I so appreciate you know, Trevor's vulnerability and transparency that's not easy to do you know, before all of us this last week. Can we just thank God for Trevor? Trevor epitomizes the name of our church. It's called Valley Real Life. And if we can't be real with one another here, where can we be real? And so we want to continue to head in that direction. If you're sitting there going, I don't know what he's talking about. Hopefully that whets your appetite to listen online. You missed last week and it was worth, worth a listen. Now today is going to also be challenging as we trust God with our future despite what is happening in our present. To trust him with our future despite what is happening in our present. So here's a question I want you to process. What are some plans, dreams, goals, or hopes that you have for the future? What are tram, uh, plans, dreams, goals, hopes that you have for the future? Now, some of you are like, man, I can't even get through today, let alone think about tomorrow. So let me make it a little easier. I want you to turn to your neighbor and answer this. What are plans you have this coming week or weekend? Okay, what are plans you have coming this week or weekend? Go ahead and talk to the person next to you, and we're going to come back up in just a second. Okay, I want to hear a couple of these. What are, what are some plans? What are some things you got planned going on this week, this weekend? Yeah. You're going to get ready for school. Yeah. I bet mom and dad are so excited about that. I know I am. I'm so excited for school. It's like teachers at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, what? I think she said pet her cat. Okay, good. I, I was going to say kill your cat, but I didn't think that was appropriate. So pet your cat. Okay, that's a good plan. That's a good plan. Somebody else. You can be a little older than seven to answer this question. It's okay to talk in church. Yeah. Work. Okay, that's your plan this week. It's work. Anybody else got a plan this week? Boy, you guys have boring lives. Camp. Okay. Finish the wedding invitations. That's what I'm talking about. That's awesome. Congratulations. Hopefully it's yours. I don't know who. Oh, yeah anniversary this week. That's awesome. That's exciting. None of you guys are excited about that. I'm excited about anniversaries. We all do it. Okay, last one. One final test to get approved to get an organ transplant. Okay, that wins. That absolutely wins. Well, you're going to win for the weekend because I thought last service somebody said they were going to Europe this week. And I was like, nope, not compared to what's going on over here. Uh, as, as many of you know, uh, I have had a goal this, this uh, past year, you know, of swimming uh, the Ironman length 
of the swim, you know, of the, of, of, of the uh, competition. So as you know, as an Ironman, there's a swim, there's a bike, and there's a run. And the full Ironman, it's a 2.4-mile swim. And so uh, I've been training because of Kenny, you know, I blame him for all these things. You know, for the last six months or so, starting in the pool, and then as it got warmer, going outside. And so that was the plan. That was the goal. And so this last Sunday morning, you know, happened to be, you know, the race. So Kenny and I show up, and uh, things are pristine. The, the smoke has kind of cleared out a little bit, uh, but it cleared out because of something called wind. And so uh, as we got onto the boats, you know, I looked across, I'm like, huh, it's a little windy out there, uh, especially uh, toward the middle, you know, of this, you know, lake. And so uh, we got on, there's two boats, you know, one was the 2.4 mile swim people, and the other one was the half as cool as 2.4 mile swim people, you know, which was the half, you know, length. And, and we got on our boat and I was like, man, look at all those people. And then I looked around and I was like, I'm, I'm on a boat with a bunch of 19 year olds. I think I'm on the wrong boat, you know? Uh, so we, we get on this boat and they're all, they're all excited and I'm all getting nervous, you know? And, and so we go to cross and there's a few hundred people. And, 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 and as we get across, if you've ever been in Lake Coeur d'Alene, uh, you know that the swim is from Arrow Point, you know, uh, to the golf course. So if you've ever been to the golf course, just look as far as you can see, and then that's about where you have to swim to. And, and so they had it all lined with the buoys, and they gave us all these safety instructions, and if you're going to drown, lie on your back and raise your hand, and somebody will eventually come to you, you know, all these fun things, you know, that they get you prepared for. And so we get to the other side. The other side, it is completely calm uh, because it's in the cove. It's kind of in, you know, a little bit of a harbor. And, and, and so Kenny's like, well, well, where do you want to jump in with? There's three different groups of people. You see, one is the elite swimmers, one is the sport swimmers, and one's the recreation. And I looked at Kenny, I'm like, Kenny, I'm just tired of being out here, so we're going with the elite. He goes, you're nuts. I said, we'll be in the back of the elite, you see? They'll create like a wave for us, we'll kind of ride it, you know, all the way in. <laughs> and so we got in the back, and I want to get kicked in the face, so we got far, you know, in the back, and it was, you know, start in the water, and, and, and it counts down. I'm just like getting all excited, and I'm like, yes, we've been training, prepared, ready, this is the goal, it's the plan, and he goes, go. And so we start swimming, and I am feeling great. I was like, oh, this is nice. This is, this is easy. This is great. And so we get about a quarter of the way out, and all of a sudden I realize it's a little more challenging to see the next buoy that we're supposed to be headed towards. Uh, in fact, another 100 meters, and I could not see where I was going because the wind had picked up, and the waves were now doing this. And so it was up and down. In fact, if you didn't time it right, you either swallowed water, you know, or if you didn't time it right, you couldn't see where you're going. You actually had to kind of swim like this, two hands down, push down to kind of push yourself up to see where in the world that you were going. And so uh, for the first time in my life, I, I am sitting here and I'm like, I think I'm in the middle of the ocean now. I'm not actually in Coeur d'Alene anymore. And I started to feel nauseous. Somebody told me, well, that's seasickness. I'm like, well, thank you for that. You know, and so... I'm feeling seasick. Well, when you start feeling seasick and I'm a quarter of the way through, knowing how much further I have, I start to panic. You know, when I start to panic, my legs start going numb, you know, and I start thinking to myself, I probably have about another minute before I'm going to be lying on my back, raising my hand, hoping somebody rescues me. And so I started thinking, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Uh, one of the things that immediately motivated me was if I don't finish the race, I'm never going to hear this from Kenny for the rest of my life. So embarrassment can actually push you through your fear sometimes, you know? And, and so I, I swam a little bit longer, uh, but then it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. It wasn't what I had planned for. It wasn't, I couldn't have trained, you know, for something like what I was experiencing, you know, even in this. And isn't that a picture of life? 
right? We start out different aspects of our lives. You start a new relationship and it's like, wow, this is all exciting. It's calm waters. It's fun. It's new. It's an adventure. And then you get a little further out and you're like, oh, there's some wind. There's some waves in this experience. You get a new job. You're like, man, this is great. I've been wanting and praying for this new job. And you get a little further into the job. You're like, oh, there's not as calm and as smooth as I actually had planned or I had hoped. See, we have these experiences in our lives and we start out in calm waters, but eventually you're going to hit some storms. You're going to hit some aspect of your life that you were not planning for, that you did not anticipate. Now, I'll finish my story in just a few minutes, but this story reminds me of the character that we're looking at today called Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ruth. It's a book in the Old Testament. Uh, if you have a smartphone, it's on the Version Bible app. So is our notes, you know, uh, as well as if you need a hard copy, you've got free Bibles in the back as a gift from us to you. There is no way in the four chapters of Ruth, I'm going to go through every little bit of it. So my challenge first is that you would take time this week and read through the book of Ruth. It's really kind of a fun, interactive, engaging story. I'm going to give you some of the highlights, but let me set the stage in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came to the land. Okay, something unexpected, unanticipated that was going to change people's futures. Is if you go through a famine, okay, not planning for this, not ready for this, came to the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and he went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. And so I know we got a picture, we got a map, you know, that'll kind of show you, you know, where they're at. They were in Bethlehem, Judea, and more than likely they traveled up and around. They could have gone underneath, but more than likely they went up and around through Reuben, down into, you know, Kirmoab, into the, into the land. We don't know exactly where, but somewhere in Moab. Give you kind of a, an idea, probably the distance from here to Oregon, except for not the same transportation. Consider walking. Okay, so they, they're trying to escape the famine, in our case, escape the smoke, you know, and to get to someplace, you know, that would be better for their future. Now, the reason this is important is because to trust God with our future actually means to trust him in our present. Okay, you, you, sometimes we think about what we're going to do tomorrow. We forget about what we do today is going to affect tomorrow. So are we trusting God with our present? When we do that, we do that by spending daily time with him. I mean, think about relationships that you have in your life. You trust people the deeper the relationship is. Somebody comes to you, you don't know them, and they try to sell you something, what happens? That mistrust button goes up. It's like, what are they trying to do? What's their angle? I don't, don't get what they're trying to actually tell you. Now, a friend tells you something, you're going to listen. Somebody who've been friends with for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, some depth of relationship, you're going to listen to a lot more because they have earned trust because you've been in relationship with them on a regular basis. It's, it's, it's the same reason that when Jesus says in Matthew 6, to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble has enough for today. Many of us are so worried about what hasn't happened, what might happen, what may never happen, that we're not able to focus on the present today. See, we need to build our lives on something that's firm, a foundation. Many of you built houses. You know, you got a bad foundation. It doesn't matter how beautiful your house is. No matter how, how gorgeous the inside and the trim and everything, you've got a bad foundation, your house is ruined. So our foundation, Jesus says, needs to be on a rock, some firm foundation, the foundation that is him which is the present, 
And the reason he says that is because not if, but when the storms of life come, when the wind and the waves come, what have you built your life upon? If you build it on sand, you're going to be tossed back and forth. It might, might even you know, cause you some much more suffering than, than would have been allowed or available for you if you'd, not, if you'd built it on a rock. That's what he talks about. Because Jesus said we shouldn't be surprised. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So in the present, have we built a foundation on Christ when the seas are calm, when things are good? Because many of us wait until it's rocky, wait until the storms come, and then we start crying out to God. We're like, God, why are you letting this happen? God, I need your help here. And it's almost like we're trying to build a foundation in a hurricane. And although God can do the impossible, we learned that last week, it's much more preferred to have the foundation be led before the storm comes because it allows you and I to get through the storm that much easier, which is why we chose our Proverbs 3 as our anchor passage for this whole series. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It's your life. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will, not ours, in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. But that isn't like most of us. Uh, if we're going to be honest, most of us don't seek his will for our future, but we ask him to bless the plan we already prepared, right? You're like, God, I've got dreams. I've got goals. I've got ideas, and I'm headed in this direction, Lord. So I just need you to come in and fill in where I need you to fill in. I need you to already bless the plans, but I need you to provide the job, provide the gal, provide the resource, provide the kid, provide the... And we're like, wait a minute. That's not the way God intended. In fact, he says in James chapter four, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're gonna go to a certain town, we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog or smoke. It's here for a little while and then it's gone tomorrow. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Okay, let's context. Let's make sure we understand what we're saying. Nowhere is God saying that plans are bad, okay? That we should never plan. That we should just wake up and just do, I don't know what I'm going to do today. No, planning is prudent. Planning is wise. The key is, is God involved in the planning? That's what James is talking about. Is that more often than not, he says, well, I've got this business plan. I got this deal. I got this direction that I'm headed in. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're not living the way God has called us to live when it comes to our future. What we should say is, God, what do you want me to do with my business? What do you want me to do in this relationship? What do you want me to do in this situation or circumstance? Then we plan, we process, but we hold it open-handed, always allowing God to have preeminence or first place. It's not bad to plan, but have we sought the Lord in any of that? What if we prayed the way Jesus taught us? And we woke up every day and we said, Matthew 6, 10, God, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. And so to trust God with our future means trusting God in our present. That's the foundation. So let me, let me state one of the most obvious things that will ever be stated on this stage. Life never, ever goes exactly as planned. Amen. It never does. It never goes exactly as planned. We all have these dreams. Hopefully we've sought the Lord and then these plans and they don't go as planned. Uh, in fact, uh, one of my favorite uh, TV shows, you know, of all time, I think illustrates, you know, this well, you know, about how do we respond when things don't go as planned or who do we kind of listen to? And so go ahead and 
Watch the screen with me now. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know? You lose everything, and everything falls apart, and eventually you die and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No, up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's what, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the lake. machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's not Stop yelling. There's no lake here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a... I love, I love what Dwight says, though. Hopefully you caught that. You know, when things go bad, it just gets worse, and then you just die, and nobody remembers you. You know, like, of course. You know, that's just kind of the way life is. You know, how we choose to respond is the key. How do we choose to respond when things don't go the way that we thought, the way that we were dreaming, the way that we've seen others, you know, be blessed and led? See, back to the story of Ruth. Okay, they've moved to Moab, you know, for a better life, an opportunity. In fact, their sons uh, marry Moabite women. You read in the first, next few verses of chapter one, then things take a dramatic turn. We don't know how, but Naomi's husband dies. Not what she had planned. Not the direction that she thought her life was going to go. Within the next 10 years, both of her sons also die. And you start thinking in your own life. Now, we know the end of this story, where many of us who read this story understand, but imagine being in the moment. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been in those moments. How do we respond when expectations or our preferred vision of the future begins to change? We don't get the job that we were planning on getting. We don't get that promotion that we had counted on. Uh, we had a future and the future was planned that I would get married, then we'd wait four and 0.5 years and have 2.5 kids over a period of time, every one of them healthy, wealthy, and wise. And it doesn't turn out that way. It's a struggle to have kids. Maybe you can't have kids at all. You suffer miscarriages. Every parent I know uh, asks for prayer that their child, the unborn child, would be healthy. And yet, what if the child comes out and they're not healthy? That wasn't what you planned. You, 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 all of a sudden, what you had thought was supposed to go, now you've got something in the way based on your plans. Or I had a plan to go to college, but the college that I really wanted to go to didn't have plans for me to be at that college. Or I put myself out there and work only to be fired. I spent 10 years building up a business only to see in six months for it to go upside down. I invested money in the stock market and then it took a dive. I had plans for my kids, for the future of my kids, and the choices that they're making now is destroying those plans that I had for them. And it goes on and on and on. We all go through it. If you haven't, you will. See, how do we respond to a huge or minor change in our future? Here's what I want you to hear. If you have or you're going through something like that, understand this. Because sometimes this isn't a reality in many places. It's okay to not be okay. When you go through a storm, when you go through a situation, you go through a tragedy or a trial of some kind, it's okay to not be okay. In fact, we read about the honesty of Naomi 
In Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, don't call me Naomi as she goes back to her homeland. She responded and said, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. So in other words, every time I hear my name, I want to hear, here There goes that bitter woman. Why? For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer so much and the Almighty has set such tragedy upon me? See, God is up there. Do you think he looks at that going, I am shocked. How could you speak such ways to me? No, you need to go back and read the Psalms. You need to read the honesty that people were going through. Our God is big enough to be able to take that. The, what it's harder to take is when we stuff it and we deny it and we don't deal with it at all. It's okay to not be okay. Do you know what it's not okay? It's the way sometimes Christians try to comfort those who are not okay. All right? Just get rid of it. If somebody has a tragedy or loss, please take this out. You know, God can take lemons and turn them into lemonade. Don't you just want to slap a person when they say something like that? It's just not right, right? What's even worse, literally, it's like something like this. You know, hey, I know that loved one must have passed away. God must have needed another child up in heaven. I'm like, well, now I hate God more. Thank you right? That's not the way I'm feeling in the midst of the moment, or I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Well, my plans have just been wrecked, and I feel pretty harmed right now. It's okay to not be okay to sit with one another, to be there with each other as we go through that. See, that's the way that God cares for us, is through his people coming alongside in that time of grief. That's why Jesus said, if you want to know people who are true followers of me, they will love as I have loved, as we read in John chapter 13, 34, and 35. In fact, we, we read the love that takes place even in her grief with her daughter-in-law, where Ruth says these words, because Naomi says, you know what, you girls, you need to go back to your Moabite people. I'm headed back to my people because in our culture, when the husbands and the sons and any relative is gone in that way, we can't provide for ourselves. So we need to go back to relatives to see if there will be someone who will redeem us, who will adopt us, who will bring us into their family so that we can still be provided for. That's the way they took care of each other back then. But Ruth said, no, this is what she says in 116. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. See, then we hit chapter two. In comes Boaz. What an awesome name, right? Boaz. You know, he had to be some big, strong guy, Boaz, because it would have been really weird for him to be like, I'm Boaz. You know, if it was <laughs> some little, little guy. <laughs> Sorry, that's where, my, that's where my mind goes. Okay, he's a relative. He's a relative of Naomi's husband. You can read about this in chapter two, Elimelech, and he owns a few fields. And so this is what Ruth says. Hey, for us to take care of one another, this is what I need you to do. You know, uh, um, as, as Naomi says to Ruth, says, you need to go glean in the fields. What happens is that they would harvest. The main workers would harvest the fields. Then the ladies would come behind. They would glean what's what the leftover. And then even behind them was the poorest of the poor that would let people come and be provided for as well. That was what usually would happen in most of these fields. And so Ruth finds herself gleaning in a field that belongs to Boaz. Boaz has a conversation with her, finds out who she's connected to, offers protection for some of the guys, you know, who might harass her for doing what she's doing, you know, and so Ruth comes back to Naomi, and, and this is what Naomi says in Ruth 2.20. May the Lord bless him. 
Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing his kindness to us as well to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Other versions would say a kinsman redeemer, someone who again would redeem and have the possibility. Now with many relatives, who's going to be the one that's going to redeem the family? Who's going to be the one to bring them into that? And so Naomi has a plan. So she looks at Ruth and says, hey, Ruth, now it's time for me to make sure you're provided for. So somewhere she has moved her grief, grief into something more, which we'll get to in just a second. And she tells, she tells you know, Ruth, she says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Boaz might be the suitor. Boaz might be the person that's going to take care of you. So all he's seen you in, girl, is grubbies and dirt. So it is time for you to go take a shower It's time for you to put on your finest clothes and get that fine perfume out. Whatever you got, we're going to make you all dolled up. He's going to go. He's going to eat. He's going to send the drink. He's going to go to sleep. And you, when he goes to sleep, I want you to sneak in and I want you to lie at his feet. Don't think American movies. It doesn't go that way. So Boaz wakes up at midnight and says like, whoa, what's going on? Why is there a woman at my feet? You know, he says, hey, you know, it's me. It's Ruth. And he says, well, what are you doing? And so she asks him to cover her with some of his blanket as a symbol of I'm adopting you. I'm bringing you in. Uh, This is the first step to us being married. And so Boaz thinks to himself, what an honor. What a great privilege for me to be able to do for you. Now, ladies, it gets really romantic from here. Because then he says, but there is a closer redeemer to you than me. So let me go ask if he wants to marry you first. And if he doesn't, then I'll take what he doesn't want to have. Now, how's that for romance, huh? So she agrees. And and the next day, you know, he goes, you know, this we find in chapter four, Boaz goes before the the council. It's in the front of the the city. It's where they all did business together and calls elders and witnesses together. And the guy who's the closer kinsman redeemer, the guy who's the closer relative comes in and Boaz sits him down and says, hey, As you may or may not know, Naomi is selling her husband's land. And so would you like to buy the land? So the guy's thinking, for my future, absolutely. Expand my territory, more resources, more things to come. I will buy the land. Then Boaz says, oh, and by the way, if you buy the land, you also get Naomi and you have to marry Ruth. The guy's like, I'm out. You know, he goes, that's going to mess up my whole plans. mess up my direction. To which Boaz says, then I will do it. Then I will be the kinsman redeemer. See, since life doesn't go as planned or expected, we've got to trust a different perspective. For God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything that you could ask or imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, I found myself in the middle of what appeared to be an ocean with nowhere to go. And I'm like, I could not with my own strength get through the wind, the waves, and the storm that I was personally facing after something I had planned and prepared for. And and so I I thought to myself, okay, what do I need to do at this point? I'm either going to quit or I began to pray. And I said, God, I can't do this. I need your help. I need your perspective. I need your perseverance. Then I thought to myself, all right, I need to sing a song. I need something that's going to distract my mind. And I know hundreds of songs, but the only song that kept coming in my head was I Surrender All. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I can't control this. I must have sang that song like 35 times, you know, because I could not think of another song or another verse to that song. And so I, I, that, that helped a little bit. And then I realized, I'm like, Trevor is preaching right now. So I just started praying for Trevor. 
And then I was praying for my wife and I was praying. And then I did what Dory did. I just kept swimming, just kept swimming, <laughs> just keep swimming. And eventually the shore got closer and closer and closer. And I felt like I was getting stronger and stronger and stronger as we got there. And we finished the race, was able to finish it. It was cool. That's me so excited when I realized that I beat Kenny's Ironman time. I'm just saying, I was so excited that I was able to do that. See, no matter what happens in our lives, I want you to hear me, church. When it rains, which it will, God still rains. When it pours, when life has it where you can't see beyond, you're going to have to make a choice that I'm going to trust him even though I can't see it that I only see grief, that I only see hardship, that I only see the storm, that there is moments after the storm. There is moments that God is going to carry you through the storm because when it rains, he still rains. That's why Job can say, though he slay me, yet I will still trust him because he has a perspective that's different than mine. You see, over time, you have to make a choice. Will I remain a victim or will I become a victor in Jesus Christ? See, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way forever. And some of us, based on what we've experienced in the tragedy or hardship in the past, we've allowed that to define who we are, which was never intended. I'm not saying that the pain will ever go away, but the pain is not supposed to define who you are, whether you got a divorce, whether you have had pain, suffering, or loss in your life. That is not who you are. You are not that person. You are a child of God and you have victory in Jesus' name. That's what we have to hold on to. Amen. You can clap for that. Either do it or don't. So to move from being victims to victors, we have to move into the future from pain to purpose. We got to understand that God can redeem and he can take our pain and use it to the benefit of other people. In fact, if you're here on Easter, you know that there's a family in our church who went through incredible loss. But I think you're going to hear that even in and midst and through, now even 15 years later, that they have gone through this loss, that they are now using their pain for God's purpose. Go ahead and look at the screens with me now. 15 years ago, our firstborn and at the time one and only son died after he and I uh, were hit by a car while I was walking with my wife. It was by far the most difficult, uh, darkest thing we've ever had to walk through in our entire lives. How did we make it through the darkest time of our life? How did we forgive the people that hit us and ultimately killed our son? I mean, the answers to that can fill a book, but I came to a conclusion. Um, that conclusion helped us then, and it continues to help us today. And that conclusion is this. If Jesus Christ himself, in his deepest, darkest moment, dying on a cross, can not only extend forgiveness to others, but also completely put his trust in God the Father, so will I. I had a chance, uh, it was not planned, but I had a chance to meet with Eric uh, for coffee this week, just something that just kind of came up. Got to hear the whole, you know, detailed story of what was going on. What was fascinating to me is that he had a foundation before the tragedy. You know, he, he, he wasn't, nothing can prepare you for that, but it gave him the strength and perspective in the midst of, and, and he will, he'll never, you know, lose the pain of that loss on this side of eternity. It'll never be, but he has a perspective that goes beyond eternity, and he's turning the pain into purpose. In fact, 
uh, he wrote a book that it's okay to yell at God and other life-changing discoveries made on my journey of grief. Because he's so passionate about helping other people to get through painful and trying circumstances in their own experience with life. And so where do you find yourself? How do you respond when you have things little or when you have things big? How do we trust God with our future? Again, to trust him with our future is to trust him in our present. Secondly, when life doesn't go as expected, to choose to still trust God's plan and his perspective. That's the hardest one. To say, I can't see it. I won't know it. Hindsight may be 2020, but I'm going to trust you. And lastly, eventually, won't happen right away, move into the future from pain to purpose. You see, hindsight is 2020. It's so clear when you get through something to look back and be like, yeah, God, you actually were there even though I didn't see it. I can see that you can use that. You can redeem that God for the good. You didn't cause that. It could have been my own fault for that taking place or the fault of somebody else. But you're a good father who wants to redeem what is bad and to give me a different perspective, a different plan as I go through. And maybe for some of us, we'll never experience that on this side of eternity, but that's okay. We may not see or understand what God's plan has been. But you do realize that the story of Ruth, story of Naomi, it actually hits us directly, not indirectly, directly. For if you go to Matthew chapter one, you get to read about the genealogy of Jesus. And in Matthew one, verse five, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Those of you who know your Bibles, you know that Rahab was the prostitute in the wall of Jericho that helped save the spies. She was spared. In Jesus' line is a prostitute. Do you think Boaz had some stories and conversations with his mom and understood what it was like to be a foreigner, to be an outcast? See, Boaz then was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So they had a child. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse just happened to be the father of King David, who's in line, eventually would come King Jesus. You and I don't have the perspective of God. God knew what he was doing when he took what was tragic and said, I'm going to redeem this for all humanity, and you and I are here today indirectly because of God's redemptive story of the future. So what specifically do you need to trust and follow Jesus with today? What is it? Could be something little. God cares. Could be something large. You say, God, I'm going to trust you today because I know it's going to affect tomorrow. I'm going to live for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to choose to trust in the midst of whatever we're going through. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who's yet to put their trust and hope in you, may today be the day that they trust you with their future as they trust you with their present. God, hear the cries of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.